0: Welcome back to I, Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor. Shiam, currently a sophomore at UCLA, was elected as the youngest delegate for Joe Biden and also co hosts this podcast.
1: I'm Jill Wine-Banks, Victor's co-host on this podcast and also the author of The Watergate Girl, based on my experience in the Watergate trials. I also am the person who wears hashtag Jill's pins, and today's pin is a rainbow flag pin, and is in honor of our guest today, and I cannot wait to meet him.
0: As of the time of this recording, the Supreme Court has not officially reversed Roe v. Wade or Planned Parenthood v. Casey, but the leaked draft opinion in Dobbs clearly indicates they will. Once that happens, accessing safe abortions will end. But more frightening, the consequences of the draft language go far beyond a woman's right to reproductive health care to challenge other long-accepted rights that were declared under the same principles as Roe. That is, the right to privacy and other unenumerated rights. This means access to contraception marriage equality, and more may be at risk now. This is true despite Justice Alito going out of his way to say his opinion only impacts abortion, not those other rights.
1: Today, we want to discuss how endangered those rights are, rights like same-sex marriage. And if Alito's draft decision becomes the law of the land and the Supreme Court overturns Roe and Casey, we have the perfect guest to discuss all of this. Jim Obergefell, his name may sound familiar to you because he was the lead plaintiff in the 2015 Supreme Court case that overturned and legalized, uh, overturned the laws that prohibited uh, gay marriage. As a result of him, same-sex marriage has been legalized across the country, and he's currently running to become a member of the Ohio House to continue his fight for freedom and equality. We can't wait to talk with Jim about his case, its significance, and what the future of LGBTQ plus rights are in this country if Dobbs becomes the law of the land. It's going to be a great episode, so thank you so much, Jim, for being with us today. I feel like I'm meeting a true hero who had the courage to stand up and speak truth to power and make this a better, freer country.
2: Well, thanks so much, Jill. I'm thrilled to be here. And you really do touch on my motivation from the moment my late husband and I decided to file suit. We just had to fight for each other and we did help make the world a better place. And that's become part of my DNA. I have to keep doing that. So I'm thrilled to be here today to, to talk with, talk with you both. And, uh, Have a great conversation.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And it is truly inspiring. Your personal story makes your victory much more poignant. So let's start by having you explain to our audience first the basic facts behind Obergefell versus Hodges and what led you to bring that lawsuit against Ohio in 2013.
2: Great. So, Victor, this was something that we never planned on, never dreamt of, never imagined we would be part of. And it really happened just by virtue of the things that were occurring in our, in our life. John and I had been together almost 21 years on June 26, 2013. And at that point, John was in at-home hospice care, dying from ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. And I was his full-time caregiver. Well, on that day, the Supreme Court struck down the Defense of Marriage Act with their decision in United States versus Windsor. And John and I had thought about marriage and talked about marriage from early on in our relationship, but we, we agreed that for us, it could only be something that carried legal weight. We didn't want to do something that was just symbolic. So when that decision came out and I realized, oh, we can get married and at least the federal government will recognize us, I spontaneously proposed. And we ended up chartering a medical jet we, where we flew to Baltimore, Washington International Airport and we got married inside that medical jet because we lived in Ohio, and Ohio had its own state-level version of the Defense of Marriage Act. Mm -hmm. So we were unable to do that at home where John could be safe and comfortable. But we made it happen because we wanted to be husband and husband, especially because we knew John's life was coming to an end. Well, that was all we wanted, simply to say I do, and that's what we did. But by virtue of a newspaper story coming out about our marriage and everything, all the hoops we had jumped through, honestly, to get married, we were introduced to a civil rights attorney. And in our first conversation at our home, he pulled out a blank Ohio death certificate and said, do you guys understand that when John dies, his last official record as a person will be wrong because Ohio will say he's unmarried and Jim, your name won't be there as his surviving spouse. That's all that it was, Victor. that That's simply how this case got started. Being faced with that piece of paper, that last record of John's life, his existence as a person, as a citizen of Ohio and the United States, knowing that that would be wrong, broke our hearts, but also, I think, more importantly, made us angry. So when L. Gerhardstein, that attorney asked us if we wanted to do something about it, John and I discussed it and said, "We do." So we filed suit, suing the, the state of Ohio and the city of Cincinnati to demand recognition of our lawful Maryland marriage on John's death certificate when he died.
0: It's so hard to believe that was just 10 years ago. And in a way, it's more angering, but also in a way, it's inspiring that in 10 years, we made such progress. But at the time when you followed that lawsuit, what was the law of the land? So in other words, what precedent guided the courts in cases involving gay marriage at the time?
2: So, you know, at that point, there had been a lot of cases popping up across the country people demanding the right to get married or to have their, their marriages recognized if they had gotten married in a different state. And court after court was ruling in their favor, saying the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment demanded that. And for our case, it really was that Windsor decision that prompted Al Gerhard Stein to think we can do this because in his opinion, if the federal government was required to recognize lawful marriages, well, then the states should be recognized to, or should be required to recognize lawful marriages. So for us, our whole legal argument was in Ohio, first cousins cannot get a marriage license. In Ohio, an underage couple cannot get a marriage license. So they cannot legally get married in the state of Ohio. However, if those couples get married in another state where they can get that marriage license and where they can legally say, I do, well, as soon as they crossed the border into Ohio, Ohio, without a second thought, immediately recognized those marriages as valid. So our argument was, you are creating multiple classes of people here, state of Ohio, by recognizing some marriages that cannot be entered into Ohio, in Ohio, but not all. So that was our legal argument.
0: So you mentioned the legal argument, and tell us a little bit about how that argument went, and how likely did you think It was that the Supreme Court would rule in your favor.
2: Well, you know, when we filed the case, I wasn't thinking too far ahead because I was so focused on John and keeping John safe and comfortable and caring for him and focusing on the time we had remaining, which we knew was going to be short. So even though, you know, the concept of going to the Supreme Court popped up in my mind at that time, I really didn't focus on it. But our case, I knew from the start, we were right. And we got married on a Thursday. We filed eight days later. And 11 days after we got married, I was in federal district court for the hearing on our case. And on that same day, 11 days after we got married, July 22nd, 2013, federal judge Timothy Black ruled in our favor. So from that point forward, it was now a matter of a one, how much longer will John live? What will I do when John dies? But also, what will the state of Ohio do when John dies? And that temporary restraining order the judge put in place becomes permanent. So that's exactly what happened. When John died, Ohio appealed, and we ended up at the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals.
0: And And, and tell us
2: what the timing
1: was in in terms of at that point, um, was John still
2: alive when you won your victory? Yes. So we filed Um, But we won on July 22nd, 2013, and the court implemented a temporary restraining order saying, Ohio, when John dies, you have to recognize their marriage on his death certificate. John died three months later to the day, October 22nd, 2013. And it was within a couple months after John died that the state of Ohio appealed to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. And they also appealed a second case our attorney had, which was the which was about the beginning of life. Um, Al also had several couples who had either given birth or adopted in Ohio, and they sued to demand accurate birth certificates for their children, listing both parents' names. And they went before that same judge, and they won as well. So the state of Ohio appealed our case after John died. They appealed the birth certificate case, and in August of 2014, so a little bit more than a year after we won in federal district court, the Sixer Court of Appeals heard our cases along with cases from Kentucky, Tennessee and Michigan.
0: So I want to read an excerpt from the opinion that was handed down um on, uh, in July of 2013. And Justice Anthony Kennedy, who was a Republican at the time, wrote the majority. And I'd love to read a portion because it's so powerful. He wrote, quote, no union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than they once were. What was your reaction when the Supreme Court ruled in your favor?
2: Well, to be honest, as I was sitting there in that courtroom on June 26, 2015, when Justice Kennedy started reading the decision, my first reaction was, we won. But then he kept reading, and I'm not an attorney, and legal writing isn't always clear to me. (laughs) So I found myself wondering, well, did we win? I'm not sure. But as he continued, and it sunk in that, yes, we did win, you know, I burst into tears, and you could hear people around the courtroom crying. And- not surprising, my first thought was, John, I wish you were here. I wish you could experience this. I wish you could know that our marriage can never be erased. But then the really wonderful realization hit me that for the first time in my life as an out gay man, I felt like an equal American.
1: That is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Um, and even now, I'm i sort of tearing up thinking about how that was. And I think John knew. He knows even now. So, um, But let's let's talk maybe about some of the legal underpinnings for the decision because, of course, the reason that we're talking about this now is that the leaked draft of the Dobbs decision puts into question whether this will once again be challenged and whether same-sex marriage could be undone and overruled I I hope not. It seems to be so well accepted by the American public. Um, It seems like everybody knows someone who is affected by this now, and they accept it in a way that Mm -hmm. it wasn't 10, 20 years ago. Um, But let's talk about, you know, yours was an equal protection argument, you said, making you... And your marriage to John the same as my marriage to Michael. Um, is that your understanding of it? And do you think it will withstand the pressures of
2: the Dobbs decision if that, that is- becomes
1: the final decision?
2: Nope, Jill, that that is that is my understanding. And you know, I, I know there's more to it, but it's equal protection and it's also relying on the fundamental right to marry that was first recognized in Loving versus Virginia in 1967. And all of those things really tie into why I am, and this, I don't, I'm not exaggerating, I am terrified for marriage equality, but I'm terrified for many rights, many civil rights that we have enjoyed in this nation that people take for granted and assume we will always have. You know, this leaked decision, this Dobbs decision, Takes aim at those rights by saying that, you know, a fundamental right, something that isn't actually specifically written out in the Constitution, but that the court has previously said is a fundamental right, well, those can only exist if they have a history and tradition in the United States. Well, Roe versus Wade has been history and tradition for just shy of 50 years, Loving versus Virginia, which brought about the fundamental right to marry, is only six years older. So if 50 years isn't part of our history and tradition, 56 years, certainly, in my opinion, this court wouldn't consider that part of our history and tradition. And those are the things that terrify terrify me. this, This opinion that we should only interpret the Constitution as of the time it was written, that's harmful. And that takes us back in time. You know, marriage is one of those things. Those are rights that, when, that shouldn't be determined by a border. I'm a human being in one state with the right to marry the person I love, to have that, that union recognized. Well, that shouldn't be erased because I happen to cross a border. To me, that, that is anathema to the idea of we the people, a more perfect union, and it's just, you know, right now I'm just talking about marriage equality and interracial marriage. Those things, in my opinion, with this leaked opinion are at risk. Every bit of progress we've made as a nation when it comes to civil rights is at risk. You are so right. And I, I
1: know when Anthony Kennedy, who wrote the opinion uh, for the majority in your case, when he died you were very vocal about your concerns, and so can you talk about why you felt concerned when he uh,
2: passed? well, going back going back to Justice Kennedy you know leaving leaving the court and then um, Justice Scalia's death, you know given the administration we had back then, well, and then a certain party's refusal to allow confirmation hearings on a well-qualified nominee, it just scared me to to realize that politics was really going to play a part in our nation's highest court, the courtroom that affirms our civil rights, our human rights. So I, I was concerned back then, and I'm even more concerned now, given the makeup of the court currently, and this originalist, take on the law, on the Constitution that this court is advancing with the Dobbs decision. Everyone should be concerned. This is not what our nation is supposed to be about. We are supposed to learn and grow. We are supposed to take our history, our traditions, and use them to inform our future, not shackle us to the past, not keep us tied to the prejudices of 200 years ago. And if people aren't worried about this, they're not paying attention.
1: It, you know, I have to say it's not just 200 years ago. It's not that long ago that it, no one admitted if they were LGBTQ. Um, yes. I, I, one of my best friends at Motorola hid the fact that he was in a committed relationship with another man because he was sure that it would kill his career at Motorola. And he unfortunately did not become active or out until his partner died of AIDS. Mm -hmm. And he's still a very dear friend. And I know all the events that he missed that he went to alone because he couldn't come out. And so it it really is a much more recent terror and, and has been so warmly greeted by America now, uh, that it's hard for me to believe that the court would overturn this. Uh, It doesn't even seem controversial anymore. But um, do you think that there is a real risk to not just same-sex marriage, but to all the rights for, I mean, we're now talking about limiting, talking about, uh, you know, the don't say gay bill in Florida, for example. Are are these things that are going to be coming up and that the court might
2: uphold Jill I'm I'm afraid so you know you you talk about how it hasn't been that long you know your friend who worked at Motorola well it's only 50 years ago this year that a psychiatrist took stood up in public during APA meetings to say in disguise because he was terrified for his career for his life but 50 years ago this year he stood up in a conference to say, I am a gay man, I am a psychiatrist. And that was the beginning of the conversation that resulted in homosexuality being removed as a mental illness from the APA's DSM. 50 years. That's nothing in the in the history of our of our nation. So yes, I, I am very afraid of many of the things that, that we we enjoy, the rights we should have as human beings. I'm worried about losing them. You know, Lawrence versus Texas. I think Lawrence versus Texas, which was decided June 26, 2003. I think that is at risk. And that could result in same-sex sexual intimacy once again being made illegal. And don't say gay. How ridiculous is that? You know, the people who are promoting that seem to think that if A person, a child, whomever it is, if they see a queer person in the media or in the newspaper, that that's going to make them suddenly queer? Well, I don't know. I grew up not seeing a single queer person in the media, in pop culture. I didn't grow up gay. I mean, I grew up gay. I didn't grow up straight. I grew up gay. And yet I, I had no no examples of a positive gay man really any examples of a gay man in pop culture so so this argument that acknowledging the existence of people i just it's it's damaging it's terrible it's just inhumane in my opinion and we are going to continue seeing attempts to do that and you know those attempts are also tied into refusing or allowing people to say, well, teaching me about racism or teaching me about the history of slavery in our country makes me uncomfortable. And that shouldn't be allowed because it's making me uncomfortable. We are doing our children no favors by not teaching them reality, by not teaching them them our history. Beautifully said.
1: Um, Do you take any comfort at all in Justice Alito's words that this decision is only about abortion, it's different than any of the other things because there's an, quote, unborn child involved, and none of these other rights have that issue.
2: Does that give you any comfort? Not one bit. Yeah. Because yeah, me everything either. Else he put, everything yeah. else he puts in that decision is red meat to the people who want to pretend the queer community doesn't exist. People who want to take away LGBTQ plus rights, they're going to use those other things. They're going to ignore that sentence. No, I don't, I don't find any comfort in that whatsoever.
0: Yeah, and we think about what Justice Kavanaugh, Barrett, and Gorsuch all said during their confirmation hearings, and yet they seem poised to strike down um, Roe. And I'd like to ask you about that leaked draft opinion. And just as a reminder for our audience, as of the recording right now, nothing is official yet Were you at all surprised? Um, Or I guess, what was your gut reaction when you saw the leaked opinion?
2: You know, my gut reaction was, what a terrible day for people who are pregnant. And what a terrible day for people to have control over the decisions that are made about their own body. That's a very dark day in our nation's history to know that that could be coming. You know, if we can't control our own bodies, then... What can we control or what rights do we have? So that was my initial reaction. And then reading more reading more about it and realizing the arguments being put forth, the justifications being put forth for this decision just made me angry and terrified me. And I'm still, I can't get out of that feeling of terror because I just see the ero- the coming erosion of LGBTQ rights, marriage rights, you name it. And I just wonder why can't we all get along? And why why you know, I asked this question many times. How did my marriage impact anyone else's marriage? I don't understand it. This this need to attack others or th- who are different to to say that, well, We got these rights, but you don't because you're not the same as we are. How un-American can you get?
0: I totally agree. And I'm wondering what you think um, men and young people can do to support a woman's right to choose.
2: Be loud. Speak up. Vote. To me, voting is one of the most important things any person in this nation should be doing. Because if you're not voting, you're not voting for, you're not participating and you're not raising your voice to say, these are the people whose values align with mine most closely. These are the people who will protect civil rights for all. You're letting others make those decisions. You're, you're letting others create a government that does not look like our nation. You know, Jill, I think you mentioned earlier support for marriage equality. I just saw a recent, um, I think there was a recent poll that said 73% or 70-some percent of Americans fully support marriage equality. Well, if, let's say 75, I'm just going to use 75, if 75% of Americans support marriage equality, if you're not voting, you're allowing the 25% who don't support marriage equality to make that decision for you. Same thing with a woman's right to control her body. So vote every single election, not just presidential, every single election, because until everyone votes, we're, we're not going to have government bodies that actually reflect who we are as a nation, bodies that look like us as a nation. And that will keep us in the past. That will prevent us from, be, from becoming a more perfect union.
1: Boy, that is exactly how Victor and I have approached this all along, is how important it is to vote, to get out the vote, to motivate other people, to recognize that choices are not always between the two ideal things, but that you have to prioritize. And I, I can't agree with you more. It's 60 to 70 percent of Americans also believe in a woman's right to choose. And yes. Thank you. yet you have this minority of a minority Making the decision and imposing religious views in that case, um, and and probably in gay marriage too, imposing their religious views on me and violating my First Amendment rights. So I I I wonder how this decision, if if Dobbs becomes the final version, and you know we we mm-hmm. are hoping that maybe some of its ugliest, harshest, meanest language. Will be modified before the final decision, even if the decision ends up with the same outcome. In effect, um, but do you think it could translate politically to be helpful to motivating people to vote, and 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 also because what might happen if it means that your opinion is overturned, if the Supreme Court overturns your case, what would it look like, and would it be
2: politically motivating? I certainly hope so, Jill. That's what I want to happen. I want to believe that this leaked decision and whatever it turns out to be is one of the things that finally motivates people to care, to pay attention, to understand what their lack of voting, what their lack of participation has meant for the Supreme Court. And when the Supreme Court can do something like this, just how much harm that can do to we the people, to our nation, because it. Yes, I mean, <laughs> I want to believe that this will help. This will motivate people to become more involved and and to participate. And you made a great point, Jill. Um, I just want to point. I just want to say this. Tim Ryan, who is running for U.S. Senate in Ohio, he said this, and I just love it. And I and I like to repeat it because I think it's really clear and meaningful and important. You know, he was talking about his wife and how, you know, you could pick any 50 issues that they talk about, any 50 issues that come up in their marriage, and they might agree completely on 25 of them. But they still love each other. They don't break up. They still support each other, even though they've agreed on 50% of those of those issues that come up. And I think for anyone to demand or expect to agree 100 percent with any candidate or with any elected official is a dangerous track to take. You should be voting for and supporting the people who most closely align with your values. You can't expect to agree 100 percent. And honestly, I think that's part of what has brought our country to to the point it's currently in. People expecting or demanding that 100% agreement when no. Think about your own loved ones. You never agree 100% with anyone in your life. Why do you think you should with an elected official or a candidate? That's just illogical. Yeah, I, I
1: think that's so well said. And the thing I worry about is that as we see our rights eroded, and to my knowledge, this is one of the only cases that has ever taken away a right. I mean, when they talk about other cases that have been overturned, mm-hmm. where they gave a right as a result of overturning something that took away a right. This one is one we had and was taken away. And, you know, I can remember, not because not I was alive then, but, um, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago, where in Germany, the Nazis took away one right. And, you know, there's that famous saying about mm-hmm. they did that and I said nothing. They did that and I said, and when they came for me, there was no one to protect me. Right. And that's, I think, the message of all of this is that men and women have to stand up for the woman's right to have control and to make the decisions based on her religion, on her morality, on her doctor's advice. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is true for who you choose to marry, whether it is interracial or same-sex. That is your choice. It doesn't affect anybody else in the world except you and your loved ones. And I hope that your case does not get overturned. I hope that the decision that has been leaked in Dobbs is moderated in some way um, or that maybe is there even any hope that the 5-4 becomes not 5-4 but becomes 5-4 the other way because someone gets persuaded of how dangerous this decision is and the damage it can do to Americans politically and culturally? I hope so. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you are now one of the people who... You know, you said you grew up without having a positive gay role model. You are that role model now for many. And just for people standing up, it's not just for, in terms of the LGBTQ community, but as you said, speak up. And mm-hmm. that is what you did and what we all must do for the things that matter to us. And I hope that Victor's generation takes over the um Fight for choice because um, it's it's time for them to take over on that issue, and um, so I I hope this will be a better world because of of the young people and because of people like you who have fought to speak up. So thank you very much for what you've contributed and for spending time with Victor and me today.
2: Well, thanks, Jill. Victor, I've I've certainly enjoyed it, and you know. I just want to end with this, fight for what you believe in, speak out for what you believe in, be active, be engaged, be involved, because it's up to us to create this nation, to create the nation that we want, to, to create the nation that we deserve. And this leaked decision, what it means for a woman's right to control her body, what it could mean for the LGBTQ plus community, These are such terrible invasions of privacy. The last person who should be in that room with a woman and her physician talking about a pregnancy is a lawmaker. The last person who should be between two people who love each other and want to get married is a lawmaker. The last person who should be involved in someone's bedroom Policing what they do with the person they love is a lawmaker. these are such terrible invasions of privacy, and if we don't fight them now, if we, if we aren't loud and insistent, now those invasions will continue. We will, con- we will lose more and more rights and it truly comes down to when you find yourself in a situation where you you have the ability to, to do something, to fight for your values to stand up for what you believe in. I hope your listeners will do that. I did. Never expected to, but I did. And even though right now it doesn't feel like it, you know, that day, June 26, 2015, I certainly felt like I was part of making the world a better place. And it's up to all of us to keep fighting to do that. Because if we don't, there are far too many people who want to take us backward in time. Yeah.
0: We thank you so much for joining us, Jim. This was such a delight, and I can only think back to that picture outside of the Supreme Court where everyone was gathered out right after your decision. And hopefully we can return to a time when love will win and we can, like you said, get rid of this just incivility, viciousness, cruelty, um, go back to a time of just kindness and love. But we, we thank you for joining us, and this has been such a pleasure. Uh,
1: one one last question. I uh, hate to yeah. add because that was such a beautiful ending. Yeah. Um, but you you are currently a candidate for oh, state yes. government, and um, can you tell us about that? Because that's really putting your money where your mouth is. You're <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. doing something about it. You, <laughs> right. So listening to you say about do something,
2: you are doing something. Tell us. Yeah. Well, th- thanks, Joe. Correct. I am running for the Ohio House of Representatives, and you know that isn't something everyone can do. And honestly, it isn't something I ever thought I would be doing. I wasn't one of those kids in grade school who said, I want to be president one day. <laughs> never thought that. Never never dreamt of that. Never even considered it. But the experience of going to the Supreme Court, of becoming part of something so much bigger than myself, becoming part of something that really did make the world a better place, it changed me profoundly. And seeing what's happening Not just in my home state of Ohio, but in other states across the country, realizing how far too many elected officials have forgotten that they are supposed to be public servants. They're not serving the public, they're harming the public. I mean, this leaked decision, don't say gay bills, anti trans bills, those things are harming the public. They are not helping the public, these people pushing those ideas, these extremists, they are not public servants. They are serving their egos. They are serving their pocketbooks. They are not serving the people. And it really was just this coming together of moving back to my hometown and my experience being part of this case and everything I've done since then, working for a nonprofit, being on boards. I just have to keep fighting to make things better. I have to keep fighting to make the world a better place. And I want to do the right thing. And I, I feel really like
1: thank you for what you've already done and for what your promise is.
2: And I will be watching that race and wishing you the very best of luck. Well, thanks so much, Jill. I appreciate that. And Victor, you and Jill both, thank you so much for having me on today. I've really enjoyed talking with you today.
0: Same here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of Igen Politics with Jim Obergefell. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and you found it inspiring and will take action. We hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of Igen Politics and you'll leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us on YouTube and hopefully you'll like this video and also click the bell for our weekly notifications every Wednesday. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of Igen Politics.